welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. We're rolling. Do we have my boots in there? <laughs> I got some boots. My boots have no Kovas. roughage. His boots we're, have roughage. We're gonna work on. You, these are gonna work on that today. Show boots, work boots. Yes. All right. All right. Ready? I want to talk to you really quick about the harvest because you are literally planting with a harvest in mind. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. We have to plan pretty far out, and we're thinking in terms of what do we need for our family? How right. much food did we eat this year? Uh, how many kids did we add this year? <laughs> We've got six kids, so it's it's a rapidly expanding yeah, uh, calculation. Matrix, yeah. So, but we talk through what do we like to eat, what we don't like to eat, what grew well, what didn't. So there's a whole planning process that takes place in the winter and kind of the downtime. And then, you know, come spring, yeah, I mean, it's like there's that window of time. The snow has melted, yes. which Minnesota, it seems like it keeps getting later and later in the year. But eventually it happens. You can get into the soil. And then there's kind of like a mad dash for about two weeks of trying to get everything planted. Get everything planted. Get it all planted. And then you're in the process of cultivating for a while. The harvest, depending on what you grow, could be anywhere from four weeks to four months. You're always in mind for what's ripening. Right now we have sweet peas that are ripening and they need to be harvested. Right. And what are we going to do? If we, can we say, ah, I don't have time we'll do today to do that? We'll do that in a couple that. of months. Yeah, we'll, we'll get around to it later. We can't do that. They're ready now. The harvest is driving our schedules. The cultivating That's is driving so good. our schedules. A yeah. church should live that way. The harvest Ooh, like should that. drive your schedule. And that's probably another scripture that Jesus was trying to communicate to us. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right. Is that it's here, it's now. You can't just put this off. You have to stop what the other things are and move into the harvest now. We'll have tomatoes coming online, or ripening. That means we'll have, for about four weeks, just abundant and abundant tomatoes coming off the vine. If we don't, within about you know three or four or five days, harvest those tomatoes, they start to rot on the ground of the garden. And yeah. it's all been for nothing. But even harvesting them is not enough. We can't eat 50 bushels of tomatoes right. you know, in a weekend. We have to preserve them. So there's the harvesting, then there's the preservation, and then there's the storage. So it is... That's discipleship. And it all starts harvest. with the seed. Yeah. You plant the seed, you're locking in to a way of life that you're no longer in total control of the rhythms of that life. You are now submitting to the rhythms that are already existent in that seed. And you see this all throughout the scriptures too. They were governed by the law of the harvest. They were driven by that schedule. Their life depended on us. Today we have an option to say, I think I'll get that at the store or restaurant. But they did not have that choice. They had to abide by these schedules. Nothing gets more fun. Okay, so talk to me, what's ready right now? We talk about the harvest, yeah. and you gotta cool. bring it in when it's ready. Right what's here. ready right now? Well, obviously, so the kale's ready. We're starting to get cucumbers. Here, what do you got? And if we don't bring in the cucumbers, what's gonna happen? 
Yeah, there you go. They don't just magically turn into pickles. <laughs> they don't magically turn, right. So if you want to pickle them, turn the cucumbers into pickle, you got to, uh, you have to uh, brine, have a solution that's a brine, yep. so like a salt, sugar, vinegar solution. So these are ready. We got to bring them in though now. We can, yeah. These will continue to bear, not all at once. So all of these yellow flowers are turning into cucumbers. Uh, so depending on the size, this is perfect size right there. You can eat it. Right now. Eat it. How is it? Really good. Is it? Good. I'm not kidding. Good. It's really good. Okay, good. Wow, nice. Oh, right. Very nice. Very nice. Really good. So these, this is uh, the orchards. There's a saying that the best fertilizer is a farmer's shadow. Saying like you're engaged with it and you're working on it, or if your your presence there, a farmer's presence is probably the healthiest thing that can happen to whatever aspect of a farm. The orchard being out in the far corner of our property means that it's the most neglected part of our farm because I'm never passing by the orchard. Sure. I have to be really deliberate about going out. Okay, I would take this, yeah. like, think about this. If people need to be close to their church or their pastor, yeah. and they're way out there, and it's like, it's not like I'm being neglectful or yeah. you're just way out on the corner. Get yeah. in by the house, get yeah. in by the yeah. rest, and come in and gather together. That garden, which I'll walk back and forth by maybe a dozen times a day, it always gets my attention, and if it needs something, it's, you know, it, it just, it has my shadow. Get in the flight pattern, get the shadow on you. And that's my, my learning lesson from, from this, is we've had uh, different trees been attacked by different types of pests and rodents and things that I would have gotten on top of had I seen it. But by the time I got out and saw that there's something wrong, it was too late. About five years in, I think, we had planted these trees and I came out and uh, in one spring and a rabbit had eaten the bark all the way around the apple trees and I learned a lesson. Now you've got... You've got to have a guard to keep the rabbits. We lost, I think, 10 out of 12 trees after five years we started over. Because they ate the bark. Yeah, they ate the bark and I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, just apple trees. They left the pear trees, they left the plum trees. But that's a thing, I guess. So that's one of those generational learnings that Ivor now knows that, that I didn't know. But these are all things that are part of the, the loss that you have to go through. When you buy apples in a store, you're not thinking five to seven years out before that thing oh, is no. produced. I'm thinking, will these last a week? Exactly. Am I going to eat is all it gonna those? Is it going to taste good? What's it sprayed with? So this is like, fruit trees are one of the most rewarding, but also the most patience-inducing crops you can grow because it takes so long. Even in a season, we have plums and pears and the birds know exactly the day that those plums are ripe. They and guess what holiday. happens? If, they come, they show up. They if we're a couple a days late, it's just full of birds. They've eaten everything. They've stripped that tree and we've lost the whole year's harvest. Isn't that crazy? It is. And it's so that's the day. thing is that we have to stay on top of it. And it just, it takes a lot of patience over a whole year to get to that harvest day and then all of a sudden it's on you. Well, and that's the thing, I don't think enough people realize the eyes have to be on the harvest. That's it. You are like, is it ready? Is it ready? Is that's it ready? It. That's it, exactly. Oh, if I miss it, the birds are gonna steal it. Yeah. Like, if, if somebody's ready to say yes to Jesus and we miss that mm -hmm. moment, they could say yes to something else that could lead them down the wrong way. And that's something that you don't have as a heart level unless you've lived it and gone through some pain and loss because of it. All of a sudden, that reality, if you talk about the law of the harvest in scripture or you, re you recognize that, it becomes a lot, oh yeah, that reminds me of when this happened in our orchard. Right. I'm thinking of so many things. Like I think about Easter, 
weekend. And I'm like, okay, let it, I don't want it next to spring break. That'll help, that'll steal away from the harvest. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh God, please no snow on <laughs> Easter weekend because that's gonna keep you, that's gonna steal from the harvest. Yeah. And then it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're just like, I'm thinking of all these things yeah, that, that can steal can, away yep. the harvest. Yeah. And I'm like, please let the conditions be, I hope that everybody invited their friends and yeah. it's all about the harvest. Amen. These are the turnips and the beets that we just harvested. If you raise it, you have to eat it. That's right. That's, it. that's the law of the farm. This is one of the two trees that did survive. Survive. The rabbits did see not how, kill it. See how that tastes. All right. I'm just going to give it a good. This is Zestar. It might not be ripe yet all the way. How is it? Almost there. Mm. Is it almost there? Yeah, we're in July, usually mid-August, about two more weeks on this. Yeah. It's not bad. And it's it'll still be good. super sweet. But it's like close. Mm -hmm. Isn't that awesome, though? I do have like a tree full cobbler. of the, Oh yeah. yeah. That's that's the goal. When we have all of these trees that are mature, it'll produce so much food abundantly year after year with basically no inputs from us for up to a hundred years in some cases. That's why you put in all the upfront work, because there's a long-term payoff. I like to taste test them throughout the season to see how they're I think my favorite part of being on the farm would be taste testing. Mm -hmm. Hey, come on, have you loved this Too Far From The Farm series? I've enjoyed it every single week. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see this video. And then the lessons that come from the video are just incredible. And so we're so grateful for Rory and his family for opening up their farm uh, for this awesome series. The, the title of this weekend's message is It's All About the Harvest. It's All About the Harvest. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And uh, as you go to Matthew chapter 9, I one more time just want to welcome everybody that's joining us online. We've got people from all over the world. We've got missionaries joining us. Church family, can we put our hands together? Welcome everybody one more time that's joining us online. We love you. Glad that you're with us. It's all about the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We see Jesus' reaction through Matthew of seeing people that are lost, people that don't have hope, people that are on the outside. And the Bible tells us, Matthew gives us this glimpse, and it's different from other uh, interactions that we see with Jesus. Matthew shows us that, that he has compassion, and this word compassion is not just a feeling, it's not just an emotion, but it is, it is really translated to mean that he felt physical agony and pain for the people. He said that he had compassion on them because they were lost. They were like sheep with, without a shepherd. It says that they were harassed and helpless. A, a better translation for those words would be distressed and dejected. And the word for distressed was used to describe a corpse 
The word for dejected was used to describe someone who was incapacitated on the ground because of injury or wounds. So what Jesus is seeing is in, inside people's souls, they, it's like they are dying. That it's, like, it's like there's, there's no hope that there has to be an intervention of some kind in order for there to be hope for people. This is how Jesus feels about lost, lonely people being tossed around by the ways of this world. When was the last time that I had physical agony for lost people? When was the last time that I wept because I saw somebody who was lost, who didn't have, who didn't have the hope that comes only through Jesus? When was the last time you got on your knees because you saw something that was going on and you knew it was going to lead somebody to destruction? I think we, 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 we think to ourselves, oh, I, I can't believe that this person's doing this in the sense of like, yeah, they, they're doing that. That's no good for them. I'm glad we don't do that. But God changed our hearts to where we would have a sense of physical pain and agony knowing that there are people that are lost and dying without hope and they need an intervention. This is what the harvest is all about. This is what Jesus is referring to. And Jesus says the most distinctive thing he ever said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is the proverbial mission statement of the gospel. This is what he's saying to his disciples is that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's all about the harvest. And after, after watching that video, I mean, the message preaches itself. I don't even know why I'm here right now. That, <laughs> whew. But it's all about the harvest, and we got some insight, and I just want to talk through some of those things. By the way, that's, that's, that's a great way to study the Bible. When you see a word like harvest, learn about the harvest, and what does it entail? And so that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do today. So point number one is this. The harvest drives our schedules. The harvest drives our schedules. We're in a time of year where seasons are changing. People ask the question all the time, you know, when, when the temperature starts to drop. Here's usually how the scene goes. The temperature starts to drop. They've got a pumpkin spice latte in their hand. They're wearing full sleeves for the first time in months. And they go something like this. They're like, what's your favorite season? You know, it's just, the, it just happens. It's just, it's like they can't even help themselves. It's just what happens. It's the, it's the, it's the question you ask. My favorite season for my whole life, when I, since I was a little kid, still to this day, my favorite season is hunting season. Okay. Whether it's fall, spring, doesn't matter. It's just, it's hunting season. That's how it's always been for me. And I think it's because the, so much of my childhood, the, the best memories that were made were made during the hunting season. And I remember every year we would go out to North Dakota. We had family out there. I had some cousins that, that worked and owned this, this huge farm. And we'd go pheasant hunting out in North Dakota. And it was like our, our annual tradition. We'd, we'd go out there. We'd get in Grandma and Grandpa's motorhome. And we'd make our way out to go pheasant hunting. And, and these three cousins that I had, they were older than me. They were cooler. They were so cool. They had mullets and dirt bikes. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> They were like, the, like, they're just the greatest hunters. And, you know, they lived on this huge farm in North Dakota. So in my opinion, it's like they could do whatever they wanted. It was like they could, they, they just, it was awesome. 
And then I, I, I remember making an observation as I started actually going out and hunting more <laughs> on those trips. Usually I was too little. And as I got older, I realized that the cousins weren't even out there hunting. I was like, where, where are they? This is the most important time of the year. Like, they're missing out, you know? And the, the reason why they weren't there is because it was harvest time. And when it's harvest time, you have to harvest. And then we'd come back at night, and it'd be dinner time. We'd all be sitting around the table, and the cousins weren't there. Where are the cousins? They're in their combine with the, with the headlights on. It's dark outside, and they're going to be combining all night. Why? Because it's harvest time. Their, their, their schedule was dictated by the harvest, and it's time that the harvest drives our schedule. No longer does the school calendar drive our schedule, the sports calendar drive our schedule, but the harvest needs to drive our schedule. That doesn't mean that you can't be involved in things and you can't play sports. I'm all for that. My kids play sports. Go Teal Tigers, you know. But, but the harvest needs to drive our schedule, meaning that the baseball field is now a harvest field. That the basketball court is now a harvest field. That the dance studio is now a harvest field. Your cubicle is now a combine that's going to reap a harvest. Uh, the, the harvest needs to drive our schedule. What that means is it needs to be priority. It needs to be priority in our lives. John chapter 4, Jesus says this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Our life needs to be consumed with harvest. Our life needs to be consumed with not waiting until Easter or Christmas Eve when we know people are going to show up to church. But what about tomorrow? What about when you get to work? What about your neighbor that you know you're going to see the next day? Our minds and our schedules need to be consumed with the harvest. The harvest needs to drive our schedule. Number two is this. The harvest needs to be protected. The harvest needs to be protected. Why? Because the bunnies and the birds are coming. The bunnies and the birds are coming. And as silly as that sounds, it's actually biblical. It says this in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Protect the harvest. Protect the harvest in your life. Protect what's coming into your mind. Protect what you're, guard what you're listening to. He was talking about putting a guard around so things couldn't get in. What guards do you have up in your life to protect the harvest in your life? Guard your eyes and your ears. Guard your home. Be a watchman for your home. Wake up early in prayer in your home, saying, God, nothing's coming in this house unless it goes through me first. Ask God for discernment and wisdom that as you are in prayer over your home, that it would be protected and guarded. Guard your marriage. I think we, we, we have, everybody's got a different sense of humor, but I'm grieved when people take shots at their spouse for the sake of a little laugh. What if we only encouraged our spouse? What if we only spoke life to them? What if we only encouraged? What if we were able to guard our marriage and protect our marriage because there, is, there are, there are uh, not really bunnies and birds, but there are forces that don't want your marriage to make it. 
There are forces that don't, they know, they know what your marriage stands for, a covenant relationship, a picture of the gospel, the bride of Christ. Come on, our marriages are too important. We need, a guard, we need to have a guard and protect our kids. Just the other day, uh, when we're driving, our kids can pick songs, and, and my son picked a song. And I grabbed that phone, I turned that song off, and said, not a chance, buddy. And he said, so-and-so listens to the song, and I said a very good parenting line. I don't care. <laughs> I could not care less. Come on, parents, we need to stand up. We don't do things because the neighbor's kids do it. We don't do things because everybody else is doing it. We don't want our kids to not fit in. Come on, we have conviction. We need to guard our kids. We need to protect the harvest, the harvest that's in their life. Did you catch what Rory said about those trees? That for those trees, if you protect them, they could, they could produce a harvest for hundreds of years. See, the, the harvest that you're protecting right now in your kids is not just a harvest from your kids, but from generation to generation to generation to generation, from your kids to their children to their children. It matters. We need to protect. We need to protect the harvest. The harvest needs to be protected. Number three, the harvest needs to be preserved. The harvest needs to be preserved. I see so many people, they, they give their lives to Jesus. They experience a miracle. But they don't do anything to preserve the harvest. And then the harvest gets spoiled by something. Maybe it's just time. When, when, when a fruit falls on the ground, and you, it doesn't take long for that fruit to spoil. At one point in time, it was, it was fine. You could pick it right back up, and it's great. But just time that, that uh, the harvest is not being preserved, it's going to spoil. And I see too many people that walk away from the church, walk away from their faith after experiencing something very real. Something very real. And they walk away because there was no preservation happening in, with the harvest in their life. Being a Christian is not just a moment in time. Becoming a Christian is not just raising your hand. It's like, whew, I got in. Holy smokes, that was, that was close. No, but it is decisions and surrender for a lifetime. And it takes, it takes preservation. We need to preserve the harvest in our lives. We need to put a greater emphasis on our own discipleship. We need to put a greater emphasis on our discipleship. We talk about small groups. They're in the announcements. We're strategizing, trying to put good groups out there for everybody. And that's not something that we do just so you can fill your calendar with church things. That's not a bad thing to fill your calendar with church things. That's great. But it's not so you can check the box off of some religious, spiritual obligation, but it's for your own life's preservation. That's why discipleship matters. Discipleship matters. There are, there are thousands of people, a part of our church, that are not engaged. And you might be one of these people that you show up on the weekends Say hi to some people, just enough to make it seem like you're, you're around. 
but there's no preserving happening in your faith. There's, no, there, there's nothing preserving the harvest in your life. And I want to, to challenge you and say, I don't want to see that spoil. I don't want to see that harvest spoil in your life. Your life is too important. Your children's life is too important. That harvest matters, and it needs to be preserved. You need to be in discipleship. You need to be in biblical community. You need to be in a small group. This is is not religious obligation. This is spiritual preservation. We need to preserve the harvest in our lives. Psalms 119.11 says this, Your word I have treasured and stored in my heart that I may not sin against you. The key to living a fruitful life is treasuring, storing, preserving the word of God in our hearts. This is discipleship. This is discipleship. The harvest needs to be preserved. Number four, I got two more. Number four is this. The harvest needs the farmer's shadow. The harvest needs the farmer's shadow. Rory said that the best fertilizer is a farmer's shadow. We cannot isolate ourselves. We cannot allow others to be isolated. I I, I believe this, that in 2020, the, the crisis was not just that of a pandemic, of a virus, but it was the, the thing that brought so much death to people's souls was the isolation. We cannot allow ourselves to be isolated. We cannot allow our friends, our brothers and our sisters to be isolated. Isolation is going to kill the harvest and it needs the farmer's shadow. And guess what? You might be that farmer. You might be the one that needs to go and tend to a friend. You might need to be the one that brings some care to a friend. Don't allow people to be isolated. I, I, love, I love that we have a great online experience and it was my responsibility to look after it for, for a number of years and during that time, there was, there was part of me that just, I was like, I just am, I know that there are people viewing because I can see the views, but I don't know if anybody's reciprocating. I don't know if anybody's in community. I don't know, I can't see, I can't see into somebody's eyes and tell that there's something that needs to be addressed in their life. We need to be in community. If you are able to be in a local church, in a physical location, you need to be there. And if you can't be there, then you need to be in a virtual small group from somewhere on the other side of the world because that's the only option. But we cannot allow ourselves or others to be isolated. The harvest. It needs to be in community. It needs to be around other people. There cannot be preservation where there is isolation. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So what are we supposed to do? Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The shadow of the farmer isn't just being present, but it's tending to the specific needs of the people. And there might be some people in your life that you need to call some things out. There might be people in your life that need to call things out of you. Can I challenge you to believe that they are speaking the truth in love to you? 
Man, I'm, I'm a product of people tending to me, pulling weeds out of my life that were painful to pull, but it needed to happen. It needs the farmer's shadow. The last, the last point is this, number five. The harvest is now and no one else is coming. The harvest is now and no one else is coming. That, that the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter nine are incredible because he says, hey, disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So I want you to pray that God would send out laborers. And then you just flip over to chapter 10, verse one, the next verse. He gathers his disciples and gives them power and authority to go out and do the thing that he just told them to pray for. Guess what? Sometimes it might be time to stop praying and it might be time to start working. The harvest is now. We're not gonna wait for anybody else. We need to get our hands dirty. We need to start moving. We have a responsibility to bring in the harvest. The disciples were their own answer to their own prayer. Oh God, if you just send somebody to save my neighbor... God's like, yep, all right. <laughs> it's a daunting task, though, isn't it? It's a, it's a daunting task to think, man, there's so many, there are so many lost people. Like I, I shared at the beginning, I've become, I've become used to seeing lost people and not breaking my heart. It's a daunting task, and God put you at your job for a reason. God put you in that neighborhood for a reason. God put you in that school, put your kids in that school, put you coaching that team with those kids and their parents for a reason. I believe this. I believe this. The harvest is our responsibility. There was a pastor years ago, he's, he's, since, he's since passed away, but he had this sense of just like this daunting, like how, how are we gonna do this? I, I only know so many people. How, how are we gonna reach this world? And he was flying over the Midwest and out, out the window of the plane, he looked down and he saw the different squares of a farm field. He saw these squares as, as he was flying in this plane. And he felt like the Lord was saying to him, one square at a time. One square at a time. I've got my circle and my square of people. You've got your circle and your square of people. But if we would each be responsible for the people that God brings into our life and we wouldn't make excuses that, oh, I hope somebody else is gonna reach them. I hope somebody else tells them. I hope somebody else prays for them. But we took responsibility. What would God do? The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. But guess what? It's time for the laborers to step up, to stand up, and to go bring in a harvest. Come on. And this is what God has called us to do. This is what God has created us for. So God, right now I pray for our church that first you would break our hearts for lost people. God, I pray that we'd, be, we'd, we'd stop being uncomfortable because we see the actions of others and we be uncomfortable because we have such a physical burden, a pain in our stomach, knowing that they, they are hopeless without intervention. And now we have a responsibility to step in and to step up. 
God, I pray for courage in your church. I pray for boldness in your church. And I thank you that this fall is going to be a harvest like we've never seen, not because of good programming, but because of your people having a conviction to stand up, to step up, and bring in the harvest. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.